Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Erica Melanson-Fox, the Executive Director of the Maison Freetown African American History Museum and Cultural Center, joins us today to share her incredible journey. Highly accomplished in the world of performing arts, Erica is a professional songwriter who has sung with Rice University's orchestra, served for eight weeks as lead actress and singer in Ain't Misbehaving at the National World War II Museum, and toured with various national musical companies. She has opened for shows at Acadiana Center for the Arts and Festival International. In 2020, Erica received a Grammy consideration for Best R&B Song, I Still Love You, on her album, This Is 2020, featuring Timothy Bloom. We ran into each other recently at a tribute of the World War II all-black female soldiers of the 6888 Central Postal Directory Battalion at her museum, and I was inspired by the incredible contribution Erica makes to our community each and every day. Erica, I didn't think I'd be able to get this out. I didn't even touch the surface of what you've done, but I wanted to get out some of those highlights. And uh, thank you for joining us here with Jason Sikora in Raider Studios. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yes. It's an honor to be here. I um, knew of you in the community. I knew you were talented, but the depth of your creativity and your dedication to others um, is truly inspirational. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to hear. I want you to share your story uh, because I know you've traveled, you've shared your art with others, and here you are back in Lafayette. So if you can share growing up and what led you to be a creative spirit. Wow. Well, as I get older and older, this question becomes (laughs) more difficult uh, just to formate because I feel like I've lived many lifetimes. Um, My life is a song, and that is the basis of everything that I do. I always loved sound and writing and literature. Since a young, like, four-year-old kid, I was always outside singing and didn't realize that I was writing songs when I was singing to the trees and the birds and making shows Mm -hmm. (laughs) to my imaginary friends and performing. I just always loved being able to communicate and connect whether people are there or not. Um, I'm reminded just, I think my love for literature and song came from listening to the radio and my father, who, although was not a musician, he really loved and appreciated all types of music. And every Tuesday we would go to the record store I'm telling my age <laughs> because Tuesdays were when new releases came out. So where was that? Which uh, record so we store? would go to House Rocker Records or to the Northgate Mall, mm-hmm. Sam Goody, um, and that was such a treat because my dad was always off on Tuesdays. So I look forward to that special daddy daughter time. Mm-hmm. But we'd always go grab so many records and go back home and just play them all. Um, 
until it was time to go to bed. So I, I was always listening, always mm-hmm. listening to people communicate and emote and uh, basically started to create songs as well from listening to other people. Um, I haven't thought about record stores yeah. in a long time. And a lot of them had tried to morph into VHS rentals, but true record stores, what, true record stores. what a treasure that was. It huh? was. And I mean, I've seen eight, eight tracks, cassettes, mm-hmm. DVDs, records. Like I've, I feel like I've seen a, a large mm-hmm. span of music morph into various now we're at streams. Yeah. But um, you still have your collection? I do. And I have the record player. Um, oh, and it was cool. those huge floor models, mm-hmm. console like models, the system. stereo system. And that's the one thing I, it's like, it's gold. It's gold yeah. for me because yeah. it reminds me of my childhood and spending time with my father. Yeah. So you were and encouraged then to pursue your very love. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents always encouraged me to just sing and and be creative. Like, the, well, I'll say one thing. They always said education was important too. Like music mm-hmm. and writing is fine, but you have to get an education. But yes, they always supported me and 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 helped me find ways to be able to communicate those things, like through church or Mm -hmm. school plays and theater. So I was always actively performing somewhere, Mm -hmm. Uh, even dance. I was a gymnast starting at three years old at Jeremy's dance uh, studio. And so it was always competing or Mm -hmm. doing acrobats. And so, yeah, I love the spotlight at an early child, you know, hood age, but you said you went to STM. I did. I went to high school at STM, yeah. and again, always found opportunities to either sing in mass, um, or in the school plays, mm-hmm. or competitions with school. But yeah, yeah. Um, just always knew I loved music and mm-hmm. loved writing songs. Okay, so after high school, what unfolded? So after high school, I decided I wanted to go somewhere where I could still pursue music um, and my education, and it led me to California. So I moved to Los Angeles. Wow. And I attended Occidental College. Uh, there I acquired a record deal at 17 years old. Um, it was actually uh, a happenstance meeting with Carl Martin, who was also a student at STM at one time, uh, but before I attended. So we didn't know each other. Um, but he had a record deal as well um, through a, a record um, through his recordings with Shy, uh, which was his group, um, and he had a small recording company that was distributed through MCA. So our label mates were Mary J. Blige and Joe Decine, a lot of like well-known R&B artists. Um, What a small world. It was a small world. Again, my life has Mm -hmm. been a song always led by God, like just happenstance things Mm -hmm. happened all the time. And I just, I'm grateful to God because of that, because I had no manager. I moved to a city that I knew no one um, and just have been always been guided and led in some way, shape or form. So yeah, I I was there. I performed in a band. I worked for a multicultural center, Mm -hmm. um, which basically was the basis for my work now and got my degree. What type of music were you focused on? Everything. I mean, I'm classically trained, so my basis was always um, in classical and liturgical music, Mm -hmm. but my band was a cover band, so we sang pop songs and Mm -hmm. R&B songs. Just, I love all types of music, so... You might hear me singing a country song, too, which I have in the past. So, so yeah, just everything. Mm -hmm. I love music. Yeah. So what was it like in L.A. as a young woman? I know you had school to focus on, too, but 
That's pretty cool out there. So I had this dream uh-huh. that if I go work at a record company, they'll discover me like right under their noses. Well, newsflash, record companies don't want to do that. You're too <laughs> near me to hear me kind of thing. So I worked as an assistant um, in um, the distribution department. So it was in front of so many people that had the the opportunity to yeah, yeah to like discover me and it was like yeah it, it just it didn't work bathroom, that way huh? sing loud <laughs> sing loud yeah so luckily I had a record deal but after two years of the first one um, we got shelved because one of the things that happens with a record company a new organization and new management can come in and they have a choice to keep the artists that are already there or shelve you. Well, they didn't care to keep us. Mm -hmm. So basically we got shelved and I had a record deal and lost a record deal (laughs) all in like a year and a half, two years. What a way to put it. It, Yeah, we got shelved. It's better than being canned. (laughs) I guess we were canned canned before. Have you been canned? Yeah, Yeah, it's not a good feeling. Mm -mm. Um, But it it made me understand that just because you got a record deal means nothing. You still got to put in the hard work. You even have to promote yourself, which is scary because the record company wants to do that for Mm -hmm. you. So you're kind of at their disposal when they want to put you out and how they want to put you out. So I learned very early on how to be, I guess, a business person in the music business because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's a business. Um, So I'm glad I I got my degree um, and just kept hitting the pavement. So and that's basically what I did. I would perform on the weekends. Um, I was in the recording studio trying to get another record deal because mm-hmm. back then that's what you did. You had to get signed yeah. to be able to put out music. Um, you were supporting yourself. I was supporting myself. I was going to school. I had a scholarship, mm-hmm. luckily. Um, but yeah, I was supporting myself in, in a big city all yeah. alone without a manager, like I said. Um, and another happenstance chance opportunity happened. I was singing the national anthem uh, at the Staples Center and oh. was discovered, if you will, by one of the um, attorneys for um, another record label that was actually based out of Louisiana, um, which is No Limit Records. So Master mm-hmm. P and a couple other rap artists, um, which I was excited about because he introduced me to them and I was able to uh, audition and acquire another record deal. And it led me back to Louisiana that's for a, a short stint. Awesome. It, was, uh, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. But your parents were happy. Huh? They were for a short time, but I didn't stay there for mm-hmm. very long either because <laughs> I was singing a lot, writing for other people. And my career has taken me in places where I was writing more so for other artists mm-hmm. and Instead of myself, and I felt like being on that label, I was just becoming like the chorus singer or the yeah. hook singer, as they call it. So I stayed for a couple years and then decided to go back to LA mm-hmm. for a, a second time. Yeah, <laughs> and gosh. went back again. How old were you at this point? Um, by that point, I'm about 24, 25. Super young. No, uh, you, in you record think? deal standards, I was old? already becoming. Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> 
<laughs> Jason will tell you. What? Yes. I was already like, I don't know how much time they're going to get out of you kind of conversations with record the deals. It's like, what, the what is youth. It? I was singing during a time when like the Britney Spears and, oh, uh, you know, y'all the younger teeny, bopper. teeny boppers yeah. were starting to come through. So yeah, if you're 25, you're like middle age. Well, you could wear knee highs and <laughs> little school skirt. What you think? Believe me, I tried. No. <laughs> I tried. Yes, yes, yes. That's funny. This seems like a tough business. It's a very tough business. You have to have very thick skin, very thick skin. So I've always loved theater. And as I mentioned, growing up here, that was a strong basis of mine. So I decided, hey, let's try theater and do more um, performances, you know, in theater. So I did a lot of work um, doing musicals. And that's when I met Mickey Stevenson, who is and was the head A&R for Motown. And he had written a theater production, he and Smokey Robinson, called Saying Sister Saying. And at the time, I did not realize the caliber of talent that I was performing with. These were Motown singers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to like learn the the history of Motown and then realize, wow, you yeah. are in great company. Yeah. So we traveled and toured to sing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with oh, them man. and the funk, the, the funk brothers who created all the music for Motown. Every song that you've heard was also written by some guys that most people didn't know that was their, their last face. Name? They're called the Funk Brothers, the Funk be- Brothers, because every song that they created was funky. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they brought the the heat on every song, but most people didn't know yeah. who they were because mm-hmm. they were session uh, musicians. So uh, they backed this production. So everywhere we go, I mean, the music was incredible and uh-huh. the reception because a lot of people, um, you know, respect and love Motown. Yeah. So did you get to dance? I while got you to were dance. Singing? I got to sing. I played Dorothy Dandridge in mm. the production because um, it was a play about um, historical figures. And I didn't realize during all these little nuances and things that were going on in my life was building me up to this point um, Mm. with the museum. Yeah, with history. history, With history. History was always, I guess there was a fine thread um, being woven, but I just Mm -hmm. didn't realize it until later on in life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So— what happened after this, you know? So I performed for a good long while, probably up until 2008. And then my mom and was having difficulty because my father had dementia and she was his sole caregiver, but she was still working. So she asked if I would come and just mm-hmm. help and assist while she goes to work with my father. And of course, sure. that's my heart. That's my daddy. That's yeah. the person that would take me to the record stores. I mean, I love my father. And so I came home and at the time I had a two-year-old and was married. So my husband stayed behind. I took my daughter. Uh, but again, it was only supposed to be temporary mm-hmm. where I was just going to come and help until she returned tired and could help him full time. And that did not happen. (laughs) Two years in, uh, unfortunately, with dementia, it doesn't get better. Yeah, Yeah, it progressed. And my husband was like, are you coming back? And I said, I don't think so. So he started looking for jobs (laughs) in Louisiana. Yeah, Yeah, Where was he from? Philadelphia. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's Fox. He's He's, he's the Fox. Mm -hmm. Yes, from Philly. That's so cute. Yeah. So family brought me back. And then you um, stayed. And I stayed. Uh-huh. We stayed and 
I just found ways to perform here. And yeah. um, so that's what led me to the World War II Museum. That's, that's so cool that you did that. And singing there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Blue Monday uh, All-Stars performed with them and Festival International. Mm-hmm. I just try to stay busy. Obviously, the opportunities weren't extent- as extensive as it was mm-hmm. in California. But there's always music going on right. here as well. So. so you have to have, as an artist here, pretty much a, a day job, the most People. So I I told myself I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't want a plan B. I wanted music to be my sole mm-hmm. thing because for so long, even as I mentioned before, my parents were supportive of music, but they always said, you got to get education. You got to get a good job. They believed in that nine mm-hmm. to five. And as a student, as a artist with three record deals, I always kept a job. Mm-hmm. That's why the record company came into play because I always believed in hard work because that's all that I saw. My parents always had two and three jobs yeah. growing up here. So when I came back home, I said, it's like sink or swim. I'm going to just do music mm-hmm. in one way, shape, or form. So um, I actually started a radio show on cable. 101.1, which was a show that highlighted local artists um, because there's something in the water here. There's so much talent and mm-hmm. so much beautiful uh, creativity going on. And so I love to celebrate that. And it gave me an opportunity, again, maybe not in a singing capacity, but I was able yeah. to produce a show that celebrated other musicians. And we were able to share, you know, on how to stay relevant. Yeah. And this was during the pandemic. So it was very important for them to have an outlet to be able to still perform and be heard during a time mm-hmm. when everything was shut down. Right. So um, let's talk about, you know, I, I guess the main focus and the reason I wanted to invite you was the Maison Freetown African American History Museum, but it encompasses a lot of your story. And so is this a good segue? Or, Absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, it's such a beautiful place. And Thank you. to see the crowd there celebrating women soldiers of World War II, all black battalion that were just, they didn't even know they were brave. They just looked like, you know, the stories that we heard, they were doing their job. It was business as usual yeah. for them, which is usually the case. And maybe that's why I gravitated to the story because in a sense, I always feel like an obligation to do more. And this was the generation when yeah. they did not sit on their laurels. I had the rare privilege of interviewing one of the last Tuskegee Airmen, oh, you did. Calvin yeah. Moret of New Orleans. And when I tell you we sat down and interviewed him, this gentleman, he went off, he served in the war, came back, opened a newspaper. He called himself a wood whittler, a woodler. I don't know the word. Yeah, but when I said he could make dining room tables mm. and baby cribs, like he he wasn't whittling wood by mm. no means, but that's just to them, like they play down incredible things that they've done. And it's incredible. It makes you start to analyze, what am I doing? How mm-hmm. can I do more? Um, and then again, I've always had a fascination with certain time periods and 1940s yeah. for sure was one um, that and I music, just, huh? and the music yeah. is so beautiful. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to start digging and doing research and found out that we still had a surviving member of this mm-hmm. incredible battalion, I was like, I can't just have a conversation with this lady yeah. over the phone. So we took a small little team and went to her, to her. 
to get her story. Major Fanny McClendon. McClendon. Yeah. Yes, and yes. so Diane Mouton Allen is my buddy, and she invited me to come. That's how I she learned about amazing. it. I guess I'd seen it. Maybe I know it was in the paper. Yes, that's her. But aunt. Diane was like, "Come on, man!" You yes. know, and it was just so so inspiring. Very much so. We sat and she spoke for three hours straight. And she of did. course, she 102? has 100 and she turned 102. 102. She'll be yeah. 103 in September. So she has a lot of just knowledge mm-hmm. and uh, her spirit is just so beautiful. And I, I can't speak enough again about her or people of that time period. I really love, mm-hmm. I love talking to people who have had like yeah. life experiences yeah. and she was one of them that I'll always treasure. And Jason, this group, there's only about five or six of the women yes. still alive. The youngest one is 98 or 99 mm-hmm. and Miss Fanny, Major Fanny McClendon turned 102. And, and she's uh, like maybe the third oldest. They're still two older than she is. Yeah. Yeah. Clean living or at least, Clean. you know, God watching out for She them. smiles a lot mm-hmm. and laughs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a good combination, yeah. just yeah. not taking yourself too seriously, but enjoying every moment. And mm-hmm. she does. So when we walked in the museum, um, it's on Vermilion, if I'm remembering. 800 the, is, East Vermilion. Yeah. The cross street is Lamar. A beautiful older home setting uh, with gardens. Mm-hmm. And if you can just talk about what what drove you to pursue this, you know, for, for the community? It had been something that I'd wanted to do probably when I first came here. So I think that was in 08 when I first came back um, to help with my dad. Um, I had actually questioned why didn't I see cultural centers in such a—I felt like we had a big enough population to support it, but um, just wasn't seeing anything. And it didn't just have to be African-American. I didn't see other people Mm -hmm. of color, persons of color being represented, unfortunately, in town. So I started asking around (laughs) and poking people, thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe this will nudge them, you know, the city, or uh, certain organizations to get it done, or politicians that I've had conversations with. And they would say, oh, it's on our 10-year plan, or that's a great idea. We'll look into that, you know. And I kind of left it alone. Um, But then 10, 12 years later, uh-huh. looked around and still didn't see anything. And I said, I can either point fingers at or, others or yeah. be socially responsible and try to create it for for mm-hmm. us, for this community. And so, yeah, um, it started with a small co-op of handmade artisans because I also like to create with my hands and um, had known several different artists who were doing pop-ups. The pandemic created that opportunity because I think everyone was either home making bread or, (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, jewelry or quilting. And Mm -hmm. so I had uh, become friends with many people who were doing just that. And so over time, the pandemic lasted way longer than we thought. And they had all this merchandise, you know, and they were like, what do I do with this? So I was mm-hmm. like, give it to me. We'll try to sell it. See if if there's, uh, you know, some interest there. So we opened um, an organization called Attackapaw mm-hmm. Collective, which was a co-op of various handmade artisans. And we had a little shop in the downtown area okay. on Vermilion. Okay. And I guess that was the kind of uh, the concept that showed there was potential in Mm -hmm. doing the museum because people would come in and want to pick up some earrings, you know, that we had made, indigenous inspired or what have you, but they'd stay 
and want to talk about the culture and want to learn more about Louisiana Mm -hmm. and not just Cajun or not just Creole. They wanted to know about other people that Mm -hmm. were here, you know. And so I was like, man, people are thirsty to learn more about our community and started to look for a bigger space because a good problem to have. We outgrew that small little space Mm -hmm. that we had in the downtown area and was able to acquire the space further down the street and decided to just blow it out, can finally have the museum that I always had hoped and dreamed for and a space for the handmade gift shop. If I may ask, um, you, you financed this. You you were the creative force and the um, uh, yes. the money person. Yes, that's that's quite an undertaking. <laughs> it's very much an undertaking. But that I'm kind of like go big or go home right, type person, right. and mm-hmm. I will find a way. And again, grace of God, because you know I did not have it like that. You know, I'm not a mm-hmm. you know yeah. Eventually, hopefully, I'll get to a point where, you know, we are self-sufficient. But, yeah, I had to work hard to make sure that we could sustain ourselves. So yeah. we're, we're pushing some earrings and some pecan candy, let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> to make it all work. It's a 501c3? It's a 501c3 okay. nonprofit. True Friends Society is mm-hmm. the organization that manages the Maison Freetown Museum, and uh, we tied back to the history because True Friends Society was an actual organization established in the late 1800s in Freetown of neighbors and community members coming together really to protect each other um, because it was an ugly time after Civil War um, and during Reconstruction, and lynchings were well-known in this area. And so they actually came together to help protect and thwart from those type of domestic, you know, violence uh, situations. Um, But, you know, after things, I guess, got a little bit better, they also helped with insurance policies and burials. And so it was neighbors helping neighbors. And so we've tied back and reestablished that organization because that's what we are, neighbors helping each other, Mm -hmm. neighbors learning from one another. So, yeah, yeah, the True Friends Society is who manages the, the, mm-hmm. the museum. Do you have an active board that helps you? We do. We have an active board that helps. Um, and then we also have some beautiful little seniors that come in and help work Volunteer. the shop. Uh-huh. And we actually know we, we pay. pay them. We're, yeah. They're on payroll. And, um, yeah, we— it's a very loving space, and, and I, I want people to know, if nothing else, that it's there for them. It's a community space to be engaged, and so that's why we do programming like mm-hmm. the one um, on World War II Battalion, because we want to tell those hidden stories so people have a sense of pride mm-hmm. and understand, you know— this is a very unique and beautiful yeah. place. And I think that's one thing I learned going away from Cal- to California and then coming back. This is a special, mm-hmm. beautiful little place, and um, it should be celebrated I've in heard all that facets. From so many people like mm-hmm. you that had the opportunity to leave and come back. Yeah. Robert Dafford it gives and perspective. others. It just, they didn't realize until they came back what, mm-hmm. how special and unique. Lafayette is. It really is. And I feel honored to have been here. From here, I know as a child, I used to wonder, why am I from this little small mm-hmm. town? You know, because I had big city dreams. I'm big time. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. you can be big time right you can, here. Come on now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to really appreciate the little things. Mm-hmm. Well, the building is beautiful. Do you allow people to rent it for events, you know, let's say a reception or a wedding or something? Yes, it's available for private events, um, and and that helps Mm -hmm. to sustain. I didn't realize going in how 
much it takes to just to run the air conditioner, oh, and you the know, insurance, the and insurance, all, yeah. all those little taxes. things. We um, don't have taxes, I guess. We have property. Uh, property, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, uh, so yes, we allow folks to come in for baby showers and smaller mm-hmm. events because it's a house, so we can only hold probably about 50 to 100 well, people. Parking's and nice. parking's nice. Maybe yeah. we could do outdoor events. We do run an Airbnb upstairs okay. so people can stay with us as well, and that helps subsidize. But mm-hmm. we definitely, yeah, I'm writing grants all the time and, and trying to. I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Also in the wheelhouse. Yeah. Growing up, I, I every I, I take nothing for granted, and every skill that I've acquired, I put it in my little pocket, mm-hmm. and it always comes out being needed for something else later. Yeah. I'm always wanting to learn, and I'm a student of life, and so I think that's helped me. Mm-hmm. The curiosity. In I'm me. thinking about your life, and um, I've always looked at life as a symphony. It is. I know, but it yours is. is beautiful. Thank you. You know, oh. I- Love all hear, these musical puns. I don't, <laughs> I don't hear any like off notes here. None. Most well, of us have a little. Well, mm, no, there have been, yeah. <laughs> but it's the failures that make you yeah. stronger and you learn from. So believe yeah. me, there have been a lot. The space between the In notes. between, absolutely. Yeah. And necessary mm-hmm. in order to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jason, do you have any? He's been over here writing notes. And these are two musicians who were really yakking it up before I sat down. So (laughs) We we barely let Jan talk when she walked in here. We were in such a deep conversation. I can play the kazoo and the bongo drums. I love it. I'm very talented. I know. We have a band. We have a band. Perfect. Well, so you said you went to to L.A. and, you know, I spent 14 years there. And back then, I moved there, I think, 97 so we had Warehouse Records on Sunset. Mm-hmm. There was Virgin Records, Tower. And on Tuesdays, you'd go there, and there was the big wall with the listening station. And that's how we found new music. Yes. You put the headphones on. You oh. spend an hour there and a CD that you liked. So nowadays, though, how do you find new music? It's tough. Word of mouth, like okay. the person you just recently told me. Um, because there's a lot of music out there. It's hard to sift through. And, yep. and I mean, I appreciate this time. Uh, in our lives because now you don't have to go chase a record deal or hope that somebody discovers you, which was so taxing spirit-wise. So I love that you can put something out and you don't have to wait till Tuesday to get a new, uh, you know, to get your material heard. But for the most part, I still kind of do the same thing. You know, I'll kind of pick a genre and go through on, you know, the website uh, and look for playlists and, and try to be introduced in that way or through word of mouth. Someone giving me a referral. Yeah. Just hope the algorithms are working in our favor. Exactly. Exactly. And it usually does. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, all right, so you moved to L.A. What advice would you give your younger self right before you moved to L.A.? Mm-hmm. So uh, everything is a story with me, by the way. And that's, I love no, storytelling. And that's Good. why museum life is perfect for me because, uh, yeah, I love helping people tell their stories and mm-hmm. listening to incredible stories. But um, I would probably tell my younger self to get out of her head so much because mm. I, I do analyze everything and, and you probably should, you know, to some degree, but it, it, it all 
works out, I feel, in the end. So you don't have to think so hard so much. Like everything was so calculated. I got to go to California by 17 or 18. I have a record deal. And those things manifested. But the pressure that Mm -hmm. I put on myself, like I had jobs, I had uh, a band. And one thing about back then, and you'll probably remember, you had to be really either have a following or well-known to perform Locally, so I yes. was performing in Ojai and Ventura County. Oh, so driving okay. an hour away to go perform and then come back, oh, wow. like it was a lot. And then still having to go to my labs because I was studying chemistry at the time. So it was a lot. And then recording as well. It was a lot. And I just put a lot of pressure on myself, probably unnecessarily. So I would tell myself to just ease up a little bit, (laughs) relax a little bit. But I did establish a a songwriting group here of young females. And so we get together and try to either write songs or even just give advice so that they know to, again, just enjoy life and enjoy the process and the journey. May I ask a question, I guess, to both of you for the songwriting can you just sit down and write, or do you have to, or are you like riding your bike or in the bathtub? And is that Everywhere. when things it, like it? But can you sit down too and have like a set time every day? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, yeah. I so uh, one thing I picked up on the road. Some some musicians would do this: is they would take an hour every day mm-hmm. and just as practice write a song. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll do that. I'll take two weeks and I'll go home and take. All right, I need a verse chorus within 20 minutes, and then just let it go. Yep. And then we'll revisit it a year later, and maybe it's good, maybe it's not. <laughs> oh, a year? How about two? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I have stuff from college 20 years ago that I'm still pulling up now yep. when we're revisiting. Wow. Yep. So, and then there's other times where, yeah, inspiration hits. Yeah. Sometimes hmm. watching something on TV, mm-hmm. and maybe I hear something and go, oh, that'd be cool, up an octave, go this way. And then mm-hmm. you just sit at the computer and you start... And then time flies, and it's uh-huh. two in the morning, and yep. you realize, yeah, you're not going to get sleep. Do you, you sit at the computer, too, or do you write? I do a little bit of all of it because as a kid, I didn't play an instrument. So mm-hmm. everything I heard, melody, everything was like, in my head. Uh-huh. Now I play guitar and, and trumpet, but back then I just would write wherever, mm-hmm. <laughs> anywhere and everywhere. Yep. Yeah, I that's, I think, a big part of it. We've discussed this so many times in this podcast. Just jump in the river and go do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no matter what, what yeah. it is. Yeah. I, we did a residency at Coconut Teaser uh, on Sunset Boulevard for, I think, two months, and we played to, like, three people every Wednesday night. Hey, but you were on Sunset Boulevard. Exactly. We were on, you didn't have and, to drive. It was, it was great experience. Absolutely. More than anything, we learned a lot about playing live and getting our sound just by doing that. So just go do it. Just go do it. And do it for you. Don't do it for everybody else. Bingo. But you know what? I went to a concert locally. It was a group that came in. I guess they're based in Las Vegas. And it was at the Cajun Dome. And hardly anyone was there. It's such a big venue, though. Yeah, that that is. And I just felt so bad, you know, for them. Because they were really good. It was kind of loud rock. Mm -hmm. A little bit louder than I was used to. Okay. A little bit rockier than I was used to. So probably my alley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I, I just wondered, we've all had those situations where you hope for a huge crowd, and but you're performing anyway because you want to perform, right? Absolutely. It, I yeah. think it's really, that's the, we were talking about the artist Ren beforehand, and I think that's the hard thing with an artist is we set these expectations or we're mm. like, we, that law of attraction, right? Trying to manifest something versus yes. like managing expectations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I'll set an intention. And then just let it go. And what happens, happens. And that's so hard as an artist to adhere to because I set an expectation. I want that to happen. Mm -hmm. 
But what happens when all of a sudden my wife doesn't like the song I just wrote that I I knew she was going to like? That was me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> really? I just knew I had a hit. And then yeah. it's like, oh, it's too musical or it's too wordy or, you know, because yeah. my songs always seem to have a lesson or have some type of biographical. I was the kid that was, instead of like reading Harry Potter, or, you know, I was the nonfiction self-help book person, oh, yeah, yeah. biographies. Yep. So my writing yeah. is very much <laughs> like that as well. Yeah. Like it has to have some kind of like social relevance, I guess, yeah. you know, what? tell a story. And that idea, if it inspires me, it must inspire somebody exactly. else. And, and it doesn't always case. land. No. <laughs> exactly. Really Unfortunately. Doesn't. Who inspired you as musicians, Ew, Erica? Great question. Like women or, or guys? Um, it depends on what time period. Uh, but I would say I loved Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. Oh, my really? My favorite band of all time. Shining Star. Yes. That's my theme song. Good one. See, that's a great one. I mean, my senior year in high they school. They were deep, and yeah, I didn't realize I loved it. it. Yeah, beautiful. That was, I needed that message. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that was, see, Messages. Mm -hmm. And Stevie yeah. Wonder was oh, my favorite solo artist. Yeah. So I think I write in that vein just unknowingly because that's what resonated with me. I want to feel like I've learned something or mm -hmm. received something of value that I can take with me. So mm -hmm. those musicians gave that yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I get the feeling you're a... a bit like me where because you like so much music, you can kind of sit down and pull from different influences. Oh, very much. So on occasion, I'll sit down and write like a little jazz number or write some, I'm not a country guy, but I know enough country that it comes through. And that's always the great part is when you can start fusing things. Very much mm -hmm. so. You know, and come up with something new that really feels feels like your own. Maybe it's feels not. authentic, yeah. But, but I stand by it. This is mine, <laughs> this and is this is my you sound now. It, Jason. And, and then, yeah, somebody else hears, nah, it's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, that's part of, you know, the journey, too, as a musician. It's not mm -hmm. always going to stick. People won't always love what you do. But as it, long yeah. as you yeah. love what you do, that's what matters. So how do I find your music? So that's the thing. Didn't I say my life is a song and right now my song is the museum. So okay. you can well, find my music on ericafox.com yeah. or Spotify and, you know, platforms. But I have not been writing anything lately because, again, my new love song is making sure that other yeah. people's stories get told. So I do plan on getting back in the studio and writing okay. um, some some new material, but probably that last that. 2020 album was the mm -hmm. last time that I produced something. Okay, that's yeah. my But people still can go buy it. Yeah, hey, no, I was exactly. going to say, my, <laughs> mine, mine was 2018, but you can still find it. You can still find so it. So I can hop in my car, put on Spotify, just look up Absolutely. Erica Fox, and I'll find it. Yes, the last song that I did was actually an ode to Miss Carol Fran, a Louisiana legend musician. Um, she wrote a song called, well, she didn't write it, but she made it popular, Crying in the Chapel, and I covered it because she was also someone that I listened to growing up, um, as well as some of the local DJs that helped bring black music and make it relevant. Um, Mr. Uh, Tebow, who was on KVOL, back in oh, the yeah. day and JJ Kaye these were they were pioneers for our area as DJs and they introduced us to a lot of black music that wasn't being played on some of the other stations or we might have had an hour <laughs> on a Sunday um, but Miss Carol Fran's music was one of uh, she's a incredible she passed away recently but incredible musician and songwriter mm -hmm. and piano player uh, loved all around the, the country and again right yeah. here from Lafayette yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, moving over to the museum, 
can you, again, the address, how do we find more information? Is there a web presence? If I yes. want to book something there, how do I do that? All, all that stuff. You can do all of that on MaisonFreetown.org. That's our website. It has the event dates, uh, some of future programming that we have going on and plan to. One thing I'd like to mention um, in July, we're... Um, going to be we're going to be establishing our sound lab which will be a space where we can help to teach as well as collect stories of our local community so wow. if someone maybe is 90 years old and want to share their experiences of what it was like growing up in the area we'd love to get that story we want to co uh, collect at least 45 stories oh, wow. um because that was a uh, didn't I say go big or go home? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the first year, that is our goal to collect 45 stories. They may be just one minute, two minute segments um, once it. we edit it. Yeah. I know it's going to be hard. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we've collected about 11 stories and Miss mm -hmm. Fanny was one of them. Mm -hmm. So we're finding such interesting people in our community. So if anyone wants to share their story with the museum, please do so. And they can do that by going to the website as well. Fantastic. And then my final question, this is always a tough one, is is there anything on the horizon in the pipeline or maybe something you put on the back burner that you really want to get to? So I'm glad you asked. Uh, because I'm a musician and a singer, I would love for music to be more um, uh, infused in the museum as well. Right now we're telling stories, but the plan is to also have a place where people can come and enjoy and and consume music as well. Um, Freetown was uh, a very happening place in the 30s and 40s for jazz. Um, Good Hope Hall was a place where up-and-coming performer by the name of Louis Armstrong performed, and wow. other musicians from all over the country were coming to Lafayette. And I believe most people don't even realize that mm -hmm. we had a jazz scene here as well. So one of the things on the horizon is to incorporate more of that. So mm -hmm. jazz music and music just in general um, to tie back to that history, but to also just bring some of that musical yeah. vibrancy that's so important yeah. to me and to our community. Uh, that'll be really cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Erica, thank you for being here. Thank it's you really, for really having great me. Having you. And Jan, thanks again for yes. letting me ask some questions. Yes. Appreciate y'all. Erica Melanson Fox, Executive Director of the Maison Freetown African American History Museum and Cultural Center. I know I got it. You got it. <laughs> thank you. For Thank your time. you. Boy, and this Erica Fox sounds amazing. She's something. I think <laughs> you made me I, sound I know like she's I'm something. somebody. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and I also want to thank our listeners. Um, please go to discoverlafayette.net where you can find Erica Melanson Fox's interview along with over 310 others. We've been doing this now six years. Six it's years. It's been so much fun. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please look for Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. This is Jan Swift. Thank you for joining us.